I would invite you to take your Bibles this morning and turn to the 18th chapter of the book of Acts. This is our final sermon in the book of Acts. I know because it was done once when we first moved to Indiana many, many years ago as brand new newlyweds and seminary students. We attended a a church where the pastor had been started in the book of Acts. And when I uh, graduated five years later, he was just wrapping up the series. Uh, There is so much here. So what we've done is what I would call a flyover in the book of Acts as we've looked at some principles. But today we're going to look at uh, one final biographical sketch. If you do an internet search and you type in power couples, like I did this last week, your screen will be filled with pop culture stars. There will be musicians and actors and politicians and entrepreneurs. They're the ones who make the headlines, aren't they? They're the ones who are the influencers. Uh, and, and, and honestly, some of them have very admirable traits. It's not like they're all bad. I mean, there's some great traits. There's some really good stuff that people are doing out there that we would call power couples. But for most of us, if you're really honest and you think about the power couples or the dynamic duos in your life, the people who came along, who made a difference in your life, they're not the influencers out there. They're the people who influenced you. 2021 has been a difficult year uh, for us as a family in a couple of ways. Uh, Some other families that we've known for a long time, that we were, our lives were kind of joined together in certain ways. Uh, Two that I think of in, in particular, this last year, one of those couples, one of the members of those couples was taken by death and taken to the Lord. The first one was back in February. And it was interesting because it was the the daughter of the lady that reached out to us and uh, let us know, this daughter reached out all the way from Singapore, uh, let us know that her mother had passed away. And it, it, it shocked us. You see, back in the early 90s, Jemima had come and lived with us for a year while she was in seminary in Winona Lake. And we grew really close. In fact, when she got married in Florida, she asked for both of our daughters to be part of her wedding. And uh, so we ended up making a trip to Florida with uh, six-week-old David and then his older sisters. And this last February, Jemima passed away from a rare form of cancer. And, And as I was reflecting on that, it was not long to where we started getting notes from our friends, Paul and Nancy. And Paul was having blood transfusions and different things like that. And, and every one of his letters was laced with the goodness of God and just the realities of a body shutting down. And just a few months ago, Paul went to be with the Lord. And as I thought about these two couples, I realized I rarely spoke of them as individuals, I spoke of them as if they were one person. 
it was always Jemima and Jeffrey, or Jeffrey and Jemima. It was always Paul and Nancy, or Nancy and Paul. We always thought of them together. You, you couldn't think of one without the other. And, and in different ways, they touched our lives. I've shared with you some about Paul. He was the one that whenever he came through and we spent some time together, he had a, a word of wisdom for me, things that impact my life to this day. Uh, and and he, so he made a difference, and, and today he's in heaven. But when I think of these two couples, I think of that their lives were inextricably linked together. My friend Jeffrey actually preached the funeral for his dear wife. And at one point he said, I feel like my right arm is now missing. And, and that's how inextricably linked they were. Now you're never going to read about them in the media. If you know these couples, I will be pleasantly surprised. They're, they're not somebody that made a splash in the broader sense of the word, but they really did make a splash for Jesus. And today... I want to look at a couple in the Bible, a couple who sometimes get glossed over with just a casual mention. You see, like so many individuals, especially as we get to the latter part of Acts and move into the rest of the New Testament, like so many individuals, sometimes people and what they accomplished kind of fall under the shadow of the Apostle Paul. I am convinced he was deeply grateful for all these people, but he's kind of the, the, the rock star and they were kind of the entourage, and yet this couple were spoken very highly of Paul. You're in Acts chapter 18. That's where we're introduced to this couple. We pick it up in verse 1. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontius, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla. Because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome, Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker, as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. So, even at their introduction, uh, first couple of sentences, we realize we've got to get a little background. Got to get a little background to understand their context and their circumstances. Luke tells us that Aquila was from Pontus. Pontus would have been located in the northern part of Turkey, just on the southeast edge of the Black Sea. And somehow or other, he made his way to Rome. Uh, it, many believe that maybe Priscilla was from Rome, that that was her home. That's a speculation at best. But what we do know is they were Jews. And in 41 AD, BCE, whichever one you want to use, in 41 Due to some many disturbances, Claudius, the emperor of Rome, decided, that's it. You Jews can't get along with each other? Get out of Rome. And he kicked them all out. Uh, we don't know what the dispute was. We have a little bit of things from a guy by the name of Suetonius. He was a, a Roman historian. And, and he said the disturbances were around an individual known as Crestos. Now, some scholars think that maybe either Suetonius had bad handwriting or he misunderstood. They think it was probably Christos. And so maybe it was already at 41 AD, just you know, eight years after Jesus has 
uh, you know, ascended into heaven, that the, the gospel has begun to filter into Rome, and maybe there were disputes over that. We don't know. We just know that whatever the struggles were, Claudius just said, you all leave. And he kicked all of the Jews out of Rome. So Priscilla and Aquila make their way to Corinth. And uh, there in Corinth, they start plying their trade again. Notice what, uh, what uh, the way Luke says it. He says, they were tent makers. That's the first connection to these two. They were both tent makers. Now there's a term that's just gotten overused in the late 20th and early 21st century. Uh, tents were really important in the first century. Uh, in that time, the Roman army used tents, and their tents were usually made out of leather. If you were just an entryman, you had a smaller tent, one that you kind of had to crawl into, but if you were a centurion, if you were an officer, you had a tent that one could actually walk into, and it may have even had a room or two in it. It was, it was really nice. Somebody needed to make those tents. And apparently, uh, Aquila and Priscilla were people that made tents. And we'll see in a minute, I think they were pretty good at what they did. Now, Paul is from Tarsus. Tarsus was known for a material called Sicilium. It was a woven goat's hair. And it was another material used to make tents. Probably before Paul knew that he was going to be a rabbi, his family, he probably, his father was most likely a tent maker. So Paul, even at a young age, began learning how to make tents. He had probably apprenticed under his father. And, and the, 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 the idea that when you finished apprenticeship, you got your own set of tools. Tent making tools could be easily transported. The material, not so much, but the tools could. So here Aquila and Priscilla get kicked out of Rome and they go to Corinth, and they set up shop. Paul comes into Corinth, and somehow he hears about them. We don't know how. That's my first kind of hint that maybe they were really good at what they did. You know, Maybe there was like a Facebook page for tent makers, and, and Paul knew they were there. There was some way that he knew they were there, and they connected together. And notice he stayed and worked with them. He needed to ply his trade. You know, going out and sharing the gospel ain't cheap. You got to put food on the table. You got to, and so uh, there were lots of itinerant workers around the area that would, around the Mediterranean that would go and teach, and for teaching get paid for it. Paul wanted to try to make his own way so that people weren't that dependent on giving him money, and so he tent made. And so here they're working together, and Paul every Sabbath goes out into the synagogues and he reasons with people and he teaches them and, and he comes in as this rabbi and he has that opportunity to speak and to reason about Jesus. But notice this in verse 5. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. But that when they opposed him, Paul became when they opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook his clothes in protest. He said to them, Your blood be on your own heads, I'm innocent of it. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Verse 5 is what I want to look at. When Ty Silas and Timothy came, Paul went exclusively to teaching. 
Can I use some sanctified imagination here? It's very possible that Priscilla and Aquila said, Paul, go teach. We'll keep making tents. We're doing pretty good at this. I mean, they already had a house. He stayed with them. They already had a place to stay. Let us do the tent making. You go do the disciple making. We'll work together as a team. So they're there for a year and a half. And in verse 11, we see that Paul stayed there for a year and a half. But in verse 18, we discover he left Corinth for Syria. Look at verse 18 of Acts 18. Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time. Then he left the brothers and sisters and sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. Now, there's all about a, a vow that he made, everything will keep going on. Verse 19, they arrived at Ephesus where Paul left Priscilla and Aquila. He himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. And when they asked him to spend more time with them, he declined. But as he left, he promised, I will come back if it's God's will. Then he set sail from Ephesus. So Paul gets ready to leave Corinth. And he says to Priscilla and Aquila, guys, I need you. Come with me. Let's go to Ephesus together. There's ministry there. So they go to Ephesus. They set up shop. We'll learn later that they bought a house. Uh, and and they, they begin tent making. They begin doing their thing. Paul reasons. He ministers. He does his thing. And eventually he leaves Ephesus. But Aquila and Priscilla stay there. So they've gone from Rome to Corinth to Ephesus. And one day they're doing their tent thing. One day they're doing their tent thing there in Ephesus. And uh, we pick it up in verse 24. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the Scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. When Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, the brothers and sisters encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. When he arrived, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed, for the, he vigorously refuted his Jewish opponents in public debate providing from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. So one day they're doing their tent-making thing, and they hear this guy named Apollos. He's a young man. He's eloquent. He's knowledgeable. He's, he knows the Hebrew scriptures. They go out to hear him. Uh, he's from Alexandria. Alexandria was a really important city along the north shore of, of Egypt, on the south Mediterranean. Very important city. It was founded by Alexander the Great, hence the name. It was a city known for turning out scholars. In fact, it was in the city of Alexandria in about 3 BC that 72 scholars were brought in, and their job was to take the Hebrew scriptures and then to translate them into Greek. Because of the influence of Alexander the Great and Hellenism, so many people spoke Greek. They wanted the scripture to be in the language that the people spoke. And I'll tell you to this day, 
when, when, when I'm even doing some of my research and, and I run across a Hebrew word, I will sometimes find a commentary that says, this is how the Septuagint, that's what that translation was called, Septuagint, 70 scholars, 72, how did it do it? How did they interpret that word? It's a very significant work that to this day is, is important. And so here were this guy, Apollos, who had been instructed, who was young, he was vibrant, he was dynamic, people were listening to him, and yet something was wrong with his teaching. He taught about Jesus, he taught about Jesus, born of a virgin, dwelt among us, died on the cross, rose again on the third day, but that's kind of where it stopped, and, and Aquila and Priscilla or Priscilla and Aquila, are saying, whoa, wait a minute, there's more to the story, Apollos. You're, 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 you're right there. You know, you, you've gotten through the main course, but you missed the dessert. There's more to the story. When Jesus left, he sent the Holy Spirit who came and he blew into Jerusalem like you wouldn't believe and people are saved. And, and so when we accept Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit indwells us. And so you know, when we're baptized, we're not just baptized physically, but there's that indwelling, that baptism of the Holy Spirit that, that changes us, that regenerates us, that renews us. And they sat down and they taught him. They invited him to their home. And notice this very quickly. Uh, when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. We're going to talk about it in a moment, but I find it interesting that it's Priscilla listed first there. See, it could be that Aquila went outside and started up the grill so that they could have something to eat. And she sat down and said, okay, let me show you from the Scriptures. Because I think she was quite knowledgeable from the Scriptures just as he was. Uh, it doesn't matter to them. The, the, what matters to them is that they sat down and they helped this young man get better. And kind of a side note, Apollos was willing to listen and be instructed. It tells you a little bit about his character that he was teachable. And he goes his way and he is most effective. In fact, when Paul would write to the Corinthian church, he would have to kind of scold them because they, there had been factions developing, and some of them went, we're, we're, into, we're, we're Apollos fans. We're into Apollos camps. We're listening to his podcast. We're, we're hanging out with him. We are about Apollos. And some, oh, no, 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 we're about Paul. And, and, and instead of saying, you know, Apollos is a great teacher. Paul's a great teacher. And then the others went, well, we're just about Jesus. And, and Paul said, you guys are dividing over the wrong things. We're all ministers of the gospel. Now, interestingly enough, that's it. That's, that's kind of, if we stopped there, we'd say, well, that's what we know about Priscilla and Aquila. Ah, but wait, there's a little more. In his letter to the Roman church, Paul greets Priscilla and Aquila specifically. You see, it is believed, Claudius, by the way, after several years was poisoned and he died, which is such the fate of Roman emperors. And uh, a guy by the name of Nero, who was just a peach of a guy, became the emperor. And it is believed that he probably opened Rome back up. So Aquila and Priscilla, their, their route may have been Rome to Corinth, Corinth to Ephesus, and eventually Ephesus back home to Rome. Because Paul's writing to the Roman church, the book of Romans, 
And, and he says this in chapter 16. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful for them. Now, I, I don't know what they did. I won't know this side of heaven what they did. But Paul said they are co-workers, they are co-laborers, and they went so far as to put their lives on the line for me. And across this area, across the Mediterranean, all the churches of the Gentiles knew about and were grateful for Priscilla and Aquila. Somehow they had made a difference. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, as Paul is in Ephesus, most likely with Priscilla and Aquila, sending instructions back to the Corinthian church, where he spent a year and a half with those folks. Paul includes Aquila and Priscilla in his letter. And he simply says this, Aquila and Priscilla greet you warmly in the Lord, and so does the church that meets in their home. 1 Corinthians 16, 19. Uh, They were good enough at what they did. They were good enough in making their tents that they were able to afford a home large enough that a group of people could meet in their home and worship God together. Uh, That's pretty significant. To own a home in the first century was huge especially a home large enough that people could meet in it. But there's one other mention of them. As Paul is seeing his earthly life and hence his earthly ministry start to come to a close in the book of 2 Timothy, as he's writing to his friend Timothy, he remembers this couple and he says, Greet Priscilla and Aquila and the household of Anesiphorus. Just greet them. Timothy As my life is coming to an end, as I can see the the horizon, I see what's coming, the people that you remember at the end are pretty significant, and he remembered Priscilla and Aquila. Now I know, you're saying, okay, nice story, Pastor Scott, but what can we glean from this? What can we learn from this? And I want to give you some observations that stood out for me as I prayed and and studied this couple and thought about them. And they're very simply stated. Nothing is going to be like, you know, quotable quotes. Very simply stated. And here's the first one. There's more power in we than I. There's more power in we than I. In seven mentions of this couple, they are always mentioned together. You never have them mentioned apart. You don't see one without the other. They're like peanut butter and jelly. They're like chocolate and peanut peanut butter. You can't have one without the other. They are a partnership. They're a team in every sense of the word. Now, you may not have noticed this, but in five of the seven mentions of this couple, Priscilla is mentioned first. Now, knowing what we know, in fact, we talked about it just last week, knowing what we know about word order and sentence structure in the Greek New Testament, I don't think this is just a stylistic thing for variety. That kind of flies in the face of all the scholarship we know. We don't know why or how she or why she's mentioned first, but somehow, in some way, Priscilla was prominent. 
but I could say it, you know, I'll put it this way. When it comes to the nuances of the Greek text, you would say Scott and Charlene. When it comes to taking 25 four- and five-year-olds by herself and having, I've watched this with my own eyes, there was a Bible study at our other church for women in the middle of the day. Charlene wasn't working from ho- out of the home at the time, so she came and took care of the kids. And I would watch her walk out of her room, and there were 25 four- and five-year-olds just walking like this, like ducks in a row. Not a, and, and, she, and, and then she would teach these kids, and she would play with them. And it was amazing. When it comes to that kind of stuff, you're going to say Charlene and Scott. I don't hold a candle there. At times when we counsel together, you know, we'll be sitting there with an individual or a couple and we'll be counseling together and there are times when it's Scott and Charlene because somehow I can speak truth. But there are times when my wife says, oh, wait a minute, let me, and she speaks up. And I think that was a case with Priscilla and Aquila or Aquila and Priscilla. They didn't care. Sometimes she stepped up. Apollos, I think I can explain this to you in a way that maybe you'll understand. Somehow or other, she was prominent in certain ways. In a partnership, in a true ministry partnership, all members are valuable. In a time in which men were considered most important, learned, and leaders, somehow Aquila saw the insight and knowledge and discernment of his wife. And he not only ministered alongside her, I believe he encouraged her to flourish. Because he believed there's more power in we than I. Second, growing in one's knowledge of God's Word is not limited to the professionals. Priscilla and Aquila were not just making stuff up when they brought Apollos home for dinner that night and and began to instruct him about the Scriptures. They knew the Scriptures. They had studied the Scriptures. They had learned. They had listened. They had took notes. They, they were reading whatever was available to them. When we say scriptures, think Old Testament. That's what was available to them at the time. So, so they were able to spot out his lack of education. They had listened to Paul when he taught. They had listened to him reason. So don't, don't ever think, please don't ever think that because you don't know Greek or Hebrew that you can't Learn and grow in your knowledge of the Scriptures. The Word of God is a, like uh, Hebrews says, it's like a, a sword. It pierces to the depth of our soul. And, you know, my, my Greek prof used to say, the problems we have in, Greek, in English, we have them in Greek too. It's not like it's a secret code language. Read your Bible. Learn from it. Grow from it. It's not limited to the professionals. That, that lesson was driven home to me one day. I'm in Hebrew grammar class with Dr. Wayne Knife. Dr. Wayne Knife was learned. This guy not only knew Hebrew, that he could actually read and translate on the fly, he also knew Ugaritic and Akkadian. Who learns Ugaritic? One day, though, he was talking to us in class, and he, he stopped for a minute. I think it was a question that somebody asked about and it kind of came across as you know we're somebody because we're doing this and he said gentlemen I don't want you to think for a minute that this knowledge you're gaining will somehow give you greater insight than other people and you who are married don't you dare think 
that somehow you have a greater insight of the Bible than your wife. And he spoke of his own wife, and there was some affect in his voice. He said, my wife has such amazing insight into the Word of God and how it applies to our lives. I sometimes just like to sit back and listen to her when she shares something that she has learned or observed. Priscilla and Aquila did not limit their growth because they saw the intelligence of Paul or the dynamic speaking of Apollos. They also grew in their spiritual knowledge to the point where one day they opened up their house and they invited people to come in. And if you invite people into your house in a house church in the first century, guess what? You're the leaders of the church. And they invited people in so that they could help them grow. Here's a third observation I made as I studied this couple. There is a difference between our career and our identity. Making tents was their career, and I think they did quite well at it. If you can go from Rome to Corinth to Ephesus and back to Rome and and have houses in each of these places and and, and continue to make tents and continue to provide for a living, you got to be pretty good. They they hosted, like I said, they, they owned their own house. Priscilla and Aquila were no slouches in the tent-making biz. But if what we observe is correct, what I said earlier, they may have even used their tent-making biz to let Paul go full-time in ministry in Corinth. And maybe for them, that was the way they supported him. But remember this, tent-making was not their identity. It was their profession. Their identity was in Christ. They were active in taking in people like Paul to provide a place to live, to let him work with them, to support himself. They were active in taking in people like Apollos to teach them, to help them grow, so that they could be, those people could go out and be more effective to Christ. They opened their homes so Christians could gather and learn and grow. Careers are important. God uses them to provide in many ways, but our identity is in Christ, not our career. Fourth observation, hospitality is an important and effective ministry. Hospitality is an important and effective ministry. And this kind of grows out of the last point. We've hammered it home today. Acts 18, Paul stayed and worked with them. Acts 18.3. Acts 18.26, they invited Apollos into their home. I'm not too far off, I think, in believing that Apollos lived with them while he continued to reason in the city there. Why is that? Because Apollos was like so many other itinerant teachers. You come into town, you got this thing you're going to teach. People wanted to hear from itinerant teachers. They needed a place to stay. It was an honor to invite them into your home. I believe he probably stayed with them. while they're living at Ephesus, opened up their home. Now, you know, I I know the excuses because I've heard them all before. Well, pastor, that's really well and good, but I don't have the gift of hospitality. Hospitality is not a gift. It's an expectation. In the first century, hospitality was an expectation, and I think that carries through. The word translated hospitality, in fact, in Romans 12, Paul just says, practice hospitality. I know some of us need to practice harder than others, but practice hospitality. In other words, do it. Be hospitable. 
But, you know, well, you know, you've never been into my house. It doesn't have to be. Hospitality isn't all about having people over and having all the dishes just right and all the silverware. That's not it. In fact, the, the words that are translated hospitality are simply two words that mean this. Kindness to strangers. That's what it means. Kindness to strangers. Or, or more, more accurately, love to strangers. Priscilla and Aquila showed love to strangers. They may have heard rumor of who Paul was when they moved into Corinth, but here he is. Come on in. They, to Apollos, anyone else who came into their shop, anyone else who had a need, they opened up their home. They, they taught them the way of Jesus. They showed love to strangers. What an example to us of the power of hospitality. Just being loving or kind to a stranger, you don't know how far that can, can go. Now, in a minute, I want to share with you my fifth observation. And I will admit, when you hear it, you might be tempted to say, Pastor Scott, the 80s called, and they want their sermon illustration back. Bloom where God plants you. Bloom where God plants you. I know, corny, but it's the best I could come up with. There's a statement I hear a lot a lot, uh, as I talk to people around the area. And it comes from those who follow Christ, and it comes from those who don't often follow Christ or who don't follow Christ, but yet they repeat the same frame in a variety of ways. And the frame goes something like, the refrain goes something like this, I got to get out of Illinois. I got to get out of Illinois. Or it goes this way, somebody's moving. Oh, good, you're getting out of Illinois. And I get we live in a state that is known for corruption and poor fiscal management. I get that. But I learned something from Priscilla and Aquila. In the brief mentions of them in the Bible, they lived in Rome, Corinth, Ephesus, and probably back to Rome again. What I observe is simply this. Every place they lived, every place they found themselves in, they, they kind of put down roots a little bit. They would either own or rent a home, they would set up shop, and they would gauge the community not only in business but in ministry for the cause of Christ. You see, their citizenship in heaven was more of a driving force than the specific locale where they happened to reside. Each place they lived, regardless of the circumstances, was the place God had planted them for that season. Just the other night, Charlene and I were asked this question. Why did you guys ever come to Illinois? Why did you ever come here? And almost in unison, we both responded, because God called us here. When I've been asked something like, don't you want to get out of Illinois? My honest answer is no. I haven't been called away. And God doesn't just call pastors. He calls all of us to the place where he plants us. God has put you right where you are at this time in your life because that's where he wants you to be. Be content with that. Focus on how you can flourish for him now, right where you are. Wherever 
Priscilla and Aquila settled. They had effective ministry. Why? Location wasn't important to them. Being open and obedient to what God had was. You're where you are today because you're right where God wants you. So bloom there. Oh, and and by the way, it doesn't always mean that's going to be easy. Remember, at one point they risked their lives for the Apostle Paul. Moving from locale to locale in the first century wasn't like they, they, they got a pod and rented it and had it shipped over. It was hard work. You had to travel. You had to go through roads where there were thieves. You, had to, you were at the mercy of when a merchant ship might be sailing across to wherever you're going. It wasn't just like, hey, let's, move, let's, you know, let's pack up and move to Florida. You just didn't do it that way. So it was hard. Finding a place to live, setting up shops, starting your business over again. It was tough, but they saw that locale wasn't important. Serving Christ was. You are never going to find Priscilla and Aquila on any top ten list. You're not going to see them hosting SNL. You're never going to be interviewed by Jimmy Fallon or Stephen Colbert or the Today Show. But in my mind, in my heart, they join a long list of unsung dynamic duos that God has brought through mine and Charlene's lives. And I hope yours as well. I hope today you think about some of those people God has brought into your life. I won't go too far on this because I started thinking about them and I got pretty emotional and I really don't want to do that right now. But every one of us is here today because of people God brought into our lives for a moment who saw that they were God's servants for that time. My prayer today for us is twofold. First, may we take a long look at our lives and thank God for those dynamic duos in our life. But secondly, could we learn from this couple in God's word and then from others? And could we learn again today the power of team? Can we make it a point to grow in our knowledge of Jesus and make him our identity? Can we proactively love those we meet as we grow and flourish in Christ? And can we learn to bring them along and to help them grow and to encourage them wherever God has put us? And in that, I believe God will be pleased. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for this couple that, oh, sometimes we mention them as just tent makers who help Paul out and Thank you that we can learn so much more from them. As a friend of mine says, there's nothing trivial in Scripture. I pray, Lord, today that on this Thanksgiving week, we will use it as a week to reflect. Reflect on the people you've brought into our lives. Reflect on the people you've allowed us to minister to. Reflect on the fact that you have called us to serve you right where you've placed us. And may we in that give you all the glory and the honor and the praise. In Jesus' name, amen.